Father, we thank you this morning for this worship service, this experience in your presence. Thank you for the gifts of the Spirit, for the gift of prophecy, to encourage us and to invite us to trust you. Because, Lord, all that we have sang about, you are and beyond all those things. You are the all-sufficient one. You invite us to come to you and call upon your name, that you will show us great and mighty things and that you will show yourself strong in our behalf if we will trust you and look to you. And Lord, we're grateful for the promise that you will build your church. Lord, in spite of leaders, monarchs, and others who have tried to stop and prevent your church, your church is still growing strong today all over the world because the gates of hell will not prevail. We thank you for those promises. And this morning, Lord, we are reminded by you in prophecy and in song that you are mighty to save, that you are a healer, savior, provider. With you, all things are possible. Lord, we want to call upon you right now with our needs. We have come into your presence with thanksgiving and into your courts with praise. But you have also allowed us access that we might come and make our needs known to you. That we can cast them on you. Because you care for us. You love us. And Lord, right now, whatever need is present in this sanctuary, whatever need there is by those joining us through the internet, we pray the healing provision, the saving grace of God would go out. Lord, we get a hold today of the hem of your garment. Let your virtue and your power flow in our midst, in our lives. Lord, just touch every person. Lord, we know that there's a number in our community who are battling with this COVID, and we pray and call upon your name to bring healing. Lord, that in your grace and mercy, your healing provision would flow. Touch bodies. Lord, for every other need that is present here today, we call upon you. We look to you. We lift up our eyes to you because you are our help and our strength. Father, minister to every need. Lord, as we turn to your word, we pray that we do so with open hearts, that we would hear what the Spirit would say to us today, to your church in 2021. Father, we receive from you, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. You may be seated. We welcome you. Let's give the worship team, the vocalists, the instrumentalists, give them a big, and those in the sound booth, you know. We appreciate you guys. Boy, that was a great worship time. Sense the presence of God. We hope those joining us by the Internet has felt the same thing that we've been feeling here. Uh, we have been gone for the last ten weeks. Uh, Ruth and I have been out uh, at three different churches 
uh, having the privilege to fill the pulpit. Um, we were in Beecher. We were in Pound for five weeks. We were just at Cornerstone the last two weeks. Cornerstone is a church that Ruth and I pastored for nearly 24 years, and that was our first time back to preach, so that was a very special thrill for us. But we're glad to be back here, glad to be with you this morning, and uh, glad to have this opportunity to do pulpit fill for Pastor Tim. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to share this morning on the marks of a Christ-filled life. There should be evidence. Paul has been talking about the Christian life and, and throughout the book of Colossians, and now he's dealing more with the outward. There should be some evidence, some marks that... Christ indeed is in our lives. Uh, some of the men here that go to the men's meeting on Saturday mornings uh, will know this as the 19-second sermon. Um, here's three points. After I give them to you, you can't leave. But the three points are going to be the character of Christ, the example of Christ, and the love of Christ. Now, guys, that was the 19-second version, but, you know, when you get emails or certain things, and then there's that word more, if you want more, well, we're going to press more today. You're not getting the 19-second version. You're getting more. Um, so hang in there with me. Uh, the marks of a Christ-filled life, Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 12. Put on, then... Now, if we go back, the, some preceding verses, we're told, first of all, that we have some things that have to be put off. Um, some things of the old nature of the flesh, they're put off. Paul is now moving on from that and telling us to put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. He's telling us there that we are always, forever, and dearly loved by God. His church, he loves us. We are dearly loved. You are always loved. We are loved in spite of ourselves. He loves us. And he goes on and he talks now about the character of Christ. Put on then compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And then verse 13 is the example of Christ. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Verse 14 is the love of Christ. And above all, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I know you will be shocked by this, but I go to Planet Fitness. You know, can you tell? Uh, I did 30 miles this week on a stationary bike, and I never left the building. You know. But while I was at Planet Fitness, they have 
I don't know, 24 TVs, eight different channels, different sets of TVs, and you don't have much option. It's right there in front of you to see. And I happened to notice on CNN's screen a headline that said, Parents Clash Over Schools Mask Mandate in Tennessee. And it looked from the camera shots outside of a school board meeting as if things were escalating and becoming violent. I looked over and on the Fox TV screen, it said Virginia parents clash over school gender equality policy. There is evidence in our nation of division. Someone said that our nation has never been this divided since Abraham Lincoln. Now, I don't know that for sure. We'd have to ask Pastor Curl. He was there. Uh, That's him behind that mask there. In fact, they were so divided at that time that some wanted to stretch the Mason-Dixon line all the way from the Atlantic to the Pacific. There's no shortage of issues that are dividing us. This is an issue in the world. It's an issue in the church. We're fighting over gender identity, over abortion, over vaccinations, mask mandates, critical race theory. And we could go on and on and on. One Christian commentator said concerning the mask mandates and vaccinations that the division is causing more harm than the COVID. I think the devil is smiling with the divisiveness and the division that he is causing not only in our society, but in the church over these issues. So we have to ask ourselves, how should we respond? How do we handle our differences? On a newscast, a local newscast, back about the time of the elections, they had a professional therapist from Prevea that they were interviewing. And they were talking about this divisiveness, and they showed some pictures of... uh, One house where they had the campaign signs of one candidate and that party. But on the neighbor's lawn, the opposite candidate and party. And there's, how do we live next to each other? How do we worship next to each other? Amid all these differences. The answer that this therapist gave that I took away was stay off of Facebook with it. Even the professional secular therapists are saying we need to be careful of how we address one another and communicate with one another on social media. According to her, it de-escalates when we sit down face to face. And I believe that's the Bible way to do it is that we sit down, if we have differences and grievances, 
We sit down face to face. But other than advising against social media, there was not a lot of content in what she said. I think as Christians, we need to turn to the counsel of God's word. How do we handle it? What does God say about it? In Colossians, Paul begins with the preeminence of Christ. The first chapter, he deals with the preeminence of Christ in the universe. He talks about the preeminence of Christ in the church. He's the head of the church. It is his church, as we sang this morning. And then Paul goes on to talk about the preeminence of Christ in the believer's life. He begins to move on dealing with that inward life of the believer centered upon Christ. But now he begins to speak of the outward life that's clothed with Christ. If Christ is in us, if we are hid in Christ and Christ is in us, and his power is transforming us and changing us, then we need to live out, act out, and work out, as Paul said, our salvation. Work out those things. Live out what Christ is doing inside of our hearts and our lives. Christian's role in the world today is the Christian fashion. We are to be dressed with Christ. If the Lord is going to shine on us, on this world, he is going to shine through his people. He will shine and show himself through his church. The Holy Spirit works in the world through God's people. We are to display Christ-likeness. When the believer is cleansed and free from those things that usurp Christ's rightful place and authority in our life, then we can become, and it's a continual process, the becoming, and we can continue to be filled with Christ. Again, some things have to be put off. And what we put on is, again, here's the sermon points, the character of Christ, which means that in all circumstances, I must bear the character of Christ. Whether it's in the marketplace, whether it's in the home, whether it's in the church, I am supposed to display the character of Christ. To the example of Christ means that I respond in all situations according to the example of Christ. I don't believe that we should give knee-jerk reactions. I don't think Christians should react according to our flesh. We have to stop and ask ourselves, how does God want us to respond? How would God respond to this? In all situations. And then there's the love of Christ in verse 14. That means I fulfill in all my relationship with others the supreme law of Christ. He said we are even to love our enemies. To love those who oppose us, who disagree with us. 
I want us to look at each of these and unpack this for a few minutes this morning. Point number one, the character of Christ in verse 12. And just five swift strokes of his pen, Paul describes with accuracy the character of Christ. I encourage you might want to do your own word study on each of these, but the first one is compassion. Put on compassion. The sympathetic spirit that is moved to not only feel, but to act for others. To take up their part. To be sensitive. Jesus did this, the feeding of the multitudes. He was moved with compassion, but he just didn't feel it. He did something. He fed them. I believe that, my personal observation, that as Christians we are becoming more and more insensitive to one another and to those outside the church. Our differences, our division that we are experiencing is making us less sensitive to others. We are to love them past our differences. If we don't show some compassion and sensitivity, we will not only ruin our fellowship with one another, but you are going to lose your ability to witness. You won't witness because you're too much at odds and in disagreement. We've got to overcome that. We've got to show the compassion of Christ. There were many that he ministered to that were far from perfect, and yet he loved them closer to himself. The next one is kindness, which is an outpouring of generosity that longs to help, to enrich, and to make happy. It's putting others first. It's being considerate of others, reaching out to others above yourself. The next one is to put on humility, which is the absence of pride, which is so easily hurt and ready to retaliate. I, I see this too. We're, we're becoming a little too thin-skinned. Our differences, the discussions are escalating. And we're easily offended and easily hurt by what someone else says. And it's so quick. You know what hurting people do? They hurt others. That's how we react. When someone says something hurtful, you quickly retaliate uh, with some hurtful things of your own. This humility assumes a low place to start, and it responds with no aggressiveness and no self-assertion. I think we're all getting like pit bulls. You know, we're getting aggressive. We're getting sharp with one another. 
There are families that are splitting over some of these issues. And then there's meekness. Meekness is a character that Jesus spoke of of himself. He said he was meek. This is that gentle, patient spirit that avoids anger and hurtful retorts. You know, our anger with other people never accomplishes God's purposes. The wrath of man only makes it a bigger mess. We've got to show meekness, gentleness. And the last one he mentions is patience which is the ability to bear ill indefinitely without bitterness, to put up with others, including their craziness and their sin. Now, I didn't say you approve of their craziness and sin, but we better learn to put up with some of it. First of all, the Lord puts up with you and I. And sometimes we're not real good about putting up with others. As a Christian, I lived—I uh, lived as a Christian uh, for 17 years, working at a loading dock uh, in Milwaukee for Consolidated Freightways. They, there were a lot of my friends whose lifestyle was not the direction God was taking me. But we have to establish friendship. We have to establish friendship. Amy Cortese, years ago, an evangelist, said she always tried to build a bridge from her heart to the heart of another person so Jesus could walk across. We've got to build relationships. You know, let me say this. You you can convince somebody to think like you, and maybe even vote like you. But that doesn't save them. Trying to win somebody to our morals, to our viewpoints, to our politics, to our religion, does not change a heart. Because they could do all those things like you do and die lost if they haven't received Christ as their Savior. Don't jeopardize the opportunity to minister to your family or to a co-worker because you're getting impatient with their sin or their craziness. Now, it's not just the worldling that opposes this, but our flesh does. Our flesh does not admire or seek to cultivate these qualities. The flesh wars with the spirit. This is not the way we're born and bred. That's why we have to put those things off and put on Christ. These character qualities of Christ display spiritual maturity and strength. And to do the opposite shows spiritual immaturity. These qualities are really vital to share in any group, any society, any fellowship, any relationship. They are that which lubricates all of our social interaction. 
So if we are to display Christ to the world, then we must put on or be robed with the character of Christ. Point number two is the example of Christ, verse 13. This shines more clearly under injustice and wrong. I'm sure we've all been treated unjustly, been treated wrong. There was division in the Colossian church. In that culture, they were dealing with Gnosticism and And much of that was finding its way into the church. There were those who thought they were intellectually superior, even as Christians, that they they had a closer walk with God because of their intelligence. They were also dealing with those attempting to convert them to Judaism, where along with the grace of God, they were going to focus on what they eat, on the Sabbaths. Again, a song we sang had a a verse that was out of Colossians, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy, vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. There were those that were trying to divide that church at Coloss. Now, controversy breeds irritation. There is a lot of controversy in our culture, and it is breeding irritation. As I looked at those newscasts and saw how irritated both sides were over the issues, folks, I think it's only going to get worse and escalate. There's people that are being irritated in the church. Some of these same arguments are played out in the church. And we're getting irritated with one another. You see, when there's irritation, hard things get said. And when hard things are said, they are hard to forget. Even our friendships are getting strained. Family relationships getting strained. Division is painful and lasting, and such offense and injury will surely come. We can't really escape it. As long as you have relationships with people, there's going to be offense and injury. It happens in our homes, in our marriages, even in Christian assemblies. Even at Calvary, it can happen. I saw a sign outside a floral shop on our way up to Athelstein. And it said, families are a lot like fudge. Mostly sweet, but a few nuts. You know, that can describe our churches, too. Mostly sweet, there's a few nuts. But as sweet as we are to one another, we can irritate each other once in a while. And we can have differences. And we need to be careful with where we go with that. So what do we do with those differences? If injuries and offense are not preventable, 
then God must have provided a cure. So what is that cure? We are bound in one common experience called divine forgiveness. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ today, you are forgiven. Each one of us have had that experience. So what can you and I do but forgive as we've been forgiven? I've been reading in Jeremiah, and Jeremiah was telling Israel of God's great displeasure for them. God had said, I had freed you from slavery in Egypt, and now you are causing your fellow Jews to live under slavery. God was not at all happy with it. They knew what slavery was like, and yet they were turning around and doing the same thing to their fellow Jews that the Egyptians had done to them. God said, it's got to stop. In the same way, God is not pleased when he has forgiven us, and we're not willing to forgive others that have injured or wronged us. Now in this 13th verse, Paul does not appeal to example only. He doesn't just say, forgive as the Lord forgives. Rather, he includes the individual's own experience of grace. He says, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. He's forgiven me a lot. You see, you and I are not just spectators of Christ's pardoning love. We are undeserving recipients. You know, Pastor Tim has been very transparent standing up here, and he'll tell us that his life wasn't so good before he came to Christ. We've had Dave Ewer come up and share his testimony of what God brought him out of. But sometimes we could fall in the trap of sitting there like spectators and marveling what grace, what God's grace did in Pastor Tim or in Pastor Dave. But that could be you on this platform saying the same thing. Every one of us, we are not spectators. We are unmerited recipients, every one of us. And let me just say this. Sometimes we get in the argument and the debate that if a certain, if a person holds a particular view, they sure can't be a Christian. I think we need to be careful for that. Because your morality and your political view is not going to save you. There's only one, we sang about that, there's only one that can save you and I, and that's Jesus Christ. And it's not because I follow a certain political party or because I live a certain way. It is because of the blood that he shed at the cross and offers me grace. It is through that and that alone that saves me. I should have heard amen.
We have no alternative but to deal faithfully, immediately, and peaceably with every occasion of offense and division. We must adopt and maintain loyalty to Christ's standard of behavior. And then point three is the love of Christ. Paul says there, above all. Above all, most importantly, he says, the crown jewel of everything that I have said is to love. First John 4.19 tells us that we love, why? Because he first loved us. This love is the final piece that holds everything together in its place. The very thought is clear, it's imperative. Christ's love is what binds us into the fellowship. This is fundamental to Christ's Christianity. And we've all heard it, love is not a feeling, it's a decision. We have to make a decision to show love to one another. And there is no such thing as an individual disciple. You know, some there are some who have moved from church to church because they're perhaps have a hard time connecting with others. They don't get along with others. They can never agree. They won't submit. They won't conciliate. They don't cooperate. And some of them believe they don't fit in because they're at a level of spirituality above everyone else. Well, I think John and Paul both have a rebuttal for that. They would say they don't have love. In a world that is hostile, our unyielding mutual loyalty is our strength and our witness. I believe in the days and years ahead, we are going to need each other more than we've ever needed each other in the American church before. There will be strength in our unity. The reason the enemy is trying to divide is because if we're divided, we will be weakened. In addition to that, we have to have love if we're going to be a witness to the world. He did not say by supernatural signs and wonders. He said that by our love for one another, the world is going to know we're his disciples. We need that love. The body of Christ is interconnected. It is interdependent. You know, love one another is right there at the top of God's to-do list for us. Second only to love God. And then we're to love others. And if we get that straight, everything else falls into place. So above all, put on love. And there is no point in our calling him Lord 
if we refuse to do what he tells us to do. 1 Corinthians 13, we're all familiar with it. It often gets called the marriage chapter. I don't know why, because it really has nothing to do with marriage. It has to do with a divided church being corrected and showing how they are to treat one another. You see, Corinthians is all about division. They were divided over, do we follow Peter, do we follow Paul, do we follow Apollos? You know, there were social distinctions. There were some that weren't eating communion with others. There were the poor, the rich. But all the gifts of the Spirit were operating. So when Paul deals with the church and its need to be interdependent in chapter 12, and then how that's all going to look like in chapter 14, right between them he puts the love chapter. That's how we're supposed to treat one another. In fact, he says, if you don't have love... Even if you prophesy or preach or speak in tongues or sell everything you have and give to the poor, it'll profit you nothing if it's not done in love. The Christian garments that we are to put on, you should know this by now, the character of Christ, the example of Christ, And the love of Christ. The Christ-filled Christian, with his inner life centered upon Jesus Christ, with his heart cleansed for Christ, is now to be robed with Christ to go forth among men in radiant Christ-likeness. God needs a Christ-like church to go into this messed up, hostile world and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Worship team, if you'll come. Jesus told a parable, a story about a king who held a feast for his son. It was a marriage feast. And the guests were all gathered together in celebration, And the king noticed that somebody was not fitly dressed for the king's occasion. And so this man was sought out and he was removed from that feast. It sort of reminded me, I had read a book years ago by Max Lucado, and he talked about an incident where he and his wife went out for a fine dining experience. I don't remember if it was an anniversary or what the occasion was, but they had made reservations. And they got to the restaurant, and the host would not seat them because Max Licato didn't have on a sport coat. And that was necessary. And the, the host was adamant, you're not sitting down in here. And Max, he's pleading, I made reservations. It's our anniversary or whatever the event was, I don't really recall. But he's pleading his case. And he said he was starving 
And he tried to tell, you know, all these things that I'm hungry, I'm starving, make an exception. The host refused to. And then before they left, the host took off his sport coat. And he handed it to Max Lucado. And Max Lucado put it on. And he was now properly dressed. When you and I stand before that throne, we need to be properly dressed. And if you're wearing the clothing of morality, of your personal goodness, if you have on your religious wear, you're not fit to enter God's heaven. That's why Jesus left his throne, came to earth, died for our sins, was buried, rose again, so that he could give us his robe of righteousness. If you're here with us in the sanctuary or if you're joining us online, what are you trusting in for your salvation? If you're trusting in anything but Jesus Christ, you're not fitly dressed. And right now where you are at home, you can simply acknowledge to Christ that you need to put off your works, your religion, and all the things you're trusting in, and you need to accept his righteousness. You can just right now admit to him, Lord, I've sinned. Forgive me. I know I'm insufficient and incomplete without you. Forgive me and clothe me with your righteousness. I receive Christ as my Savior. If you're sitting here in the sanctuary and you've never received Christ, you can do that. This really hasn't been a message for the unbeliever, but I want to give that opportunity. It's Christ and Christ alone. We will only make heaven our eternal home if our trust is in Jesus Christ. But for the believer that's here today, I know that this, what we have talked about this morning, is really an ideal. You see, who's the standard we look by? We don't look to the world, and we can't even look to one another. He is our standard. And when I compare myself with the standard of Jesus Christ, I realize that I come short. When I read the love chapter and insert my name and say, Dennis is patient and kind, and I start thinking, well, not always. When I look at the character of Christ, the example of Christ, and the love of Christ, I don't always live up to that ideal. But when we realize and look to him as our standard, we also have someone we can look to for forgiveness. And you know, the more you and I are filled with Christ, the more that we are filled with his presence in our life, the more like him we will become.
Seek him. Pursue him. Have communion and fellowship with him. And clothe yourself with Christ.